Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. That's fucking delightful. Delightful. Fucking good combination playing. Sliding balls into space. Good. Excellent. You have one on the fucking road. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Walker Report podcast in association with Southern Community Soup Kitchen. It's Phil Horston this week after Sunderland bounced back with a victory over Middlesbrough in the derby that isn't a derby, except when it is a derby, if you see what I mean. I'm joined by, first of all, Gav Henderson. How are you this evening, Gav? Tired, Phil. I'm in a yes. food coma. I've been <laughs> yawning for the past 10 minutes while we've been setting up and um, I'm hoping it eases off. Now, I'm good though. I am really good and I'm glad to be here. I wasn't meant to be here. Just to let the listeners in, I'm filling in for Martin, which is why I'm not in the horse chair this week. But I, I'm looking forward to it, being on the other side of things, being able to talk about the match. Yeah, absolutely. And we're also joined by Chris Wynn. How are you this evening, Chris? I'm cracking, Phil. First win over Borough, or first league win over Borough for like 15 years or something. Can't beat it. I was at that last game, by the yeah, way, 15 yeah. years ago. So, uh... and, I did, and, it, and, it, and I could have cried. I could have cried earlier when I realised it was 15 years ago, because it feels like two minutes ago. <laughs> yeah, very much so. There was quite a lot of hype going into this game, obviously with Tony Mowbray being a Middlesbrough legend, uh, then being in quite good form under Michael Carrick. Um, so just starting with you, Gav, what were your pre-match thoughts? Because for me, when I was driving to Sunderland this morning, um, I was a little bit nervous. I don't mind admitting that now. I had a bit of a, an iffy vibe about the game. I felt that they'd be really up for it. And obviously we were coming on the back, off the back of a defeat. So how did you feel about it? Did you feel quite confident that we would be ready to go? Um, I think last night I was a little, probably a little bit more nervous than I was this morning. So I'm not sure really. Going, driving in for the match, it was... It didn't like... Obviously, there's this whole debate, is it a derby, is it not a derby? And to me, a derby day gets your stomach churning, it makes you feel sick and, and anxious, and I had none of those feelings this morning. I was actually pretty calm. I'm with you, though. I I, I think that there was a lot of tension in, in terms of thinking, well, Middlesbrough coming into this game, brilliant, had rarely put a foot wrong under Carrick, to be fair. So I was I was a little bit worried about that. But one of my mates said this in the pub and he was bang on, you know, I don't think we give ourselves enough credit for how good we are. And sometimes we don't really talk about that. You know, yeah. we, we'll come into a game and we worry too much about what the opposition do. I think Tony Mowbray is pretty guilty of this. He likes to talk about how good the other team are. And that sometimes plants the seed in my head and makes me think about the other team a little bit more. Might might be reverse psychology, I don't know. But yeah, I thought this morning, you know, that we would be all right. I mean, I would have took a point. I said that to you when we did the Twitter space on Friday. I said I would yep. take a point. But uh, yeah, I was pretty calm. And to be fair, I was right to be because I think the players were as well. Um, I'll just turn it to you as well, Chris, because obviously, you know, the, the, the defeat to Swansea last week was frustrating. Obviously, you know, we it didn't really go our way with the red card and everything else. Um, and we know that this team has resilience we know that they can bounce back so were you with Gav on that did you feel confident that we would be able to perform in this game well yeah I mean going back to the pod during the week you know I didn't think he would make too many changes from what started against Swansea because we came out the block so well against Swansea I thought we were fantastic um, until the, the red card I mean there was only, I said during the week there was only going to be one team who won that game and that was going to be us until uh until Luke Nine did his thing. But um, the pod during the week, Gav, um, we said high-scoring game, and we said it was we yeah. said it was going to be close, and at half-time, I thought, um, actually, there was only one team who looked like they wanted to win the game, and it was low-scoring, so we got it completely 
wrong um, at halftime. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I mean, just on the the team and how they were how they approached the game, I, I didn't have too many worries that we'd be up for this one and we'd at least start well. And that's how it turned out. I mean, I think the first period of the game set the tone, especially for that first half. I thought we came out and we were absolutely superb. And I thought Mowbray had us set up perfectly to implement his game plan. And I thought, just as Gav said, talking about giving us credit about us, I think, I mean, on our day, I mean, we've said it a few times on our pod, but we're a fantastic team. We really are when we yes. when we get it right when all the kind of, whenever all the chips fall into place we're we're a fantastic side and I think actually for the first you know for the first time in a while at home I think we showed that today yeah absolutely and I think there's, we've talked about this before haven't we that we haven't really been outgunned by anybody in this division you know over ninety minutes on very few occasions if at all so I think you're absolutely right there Chris you know we know how good we can be. It was interesting, actually, because you guys wouldn't have heard it, but Luke O'Nine was on commentary for the first 20 minutes of the game. Yeah. And it's funny. Right. what you've ju- All right, I didn't know yeah, that. What, what you've just said there, Phil, it was a weird setup. They had, they had Luke O'Nine, like third commentator. With, I can't remember the main commentator's name, but it was Don Goodman and Luke O'Nine. And for the first 20 minutes, it was like almost ignoring the game a little bit and doing a little interview with Luke O'Nine at the same time for the first 20 minutes. And what you've just said there, Phil, about... Because they asked him specifically, they said who's been the best side you've come up against in the championship this season? He kind of went silent and they were kind of waiting for an answer. And he went, um, he went, I don't know, because we've been brilliant. We've been competitive in every game and nobody's really blown us away or wiped the floor with us or been completely the better side. And he says, I can't think of anyone because nobody's really outplayed us. And, like you know, the yeah. summary we've just given, I mean, it's true. You look at all the top sides. I mean... I think, you know, the Sheffield United's, the Burnleys, the the West Broms, the Middlesbroughs, we've probably been the better side in a lot of those games and there's nobody in this division wiped the floor with us and and Luke O'Nine 9 said as much, he couldn't think of a side who would give us a, a hard game. Well, let's dive into the game because obviously um, there is plenty to talk about. Um, Adji Elise was restored to the starting lineup today, uh, which was good to see because obviously he's been on the comeback trail. Um, and as Chris said there, Gav, you know, early doors, you know, we really looked positive, didn't we? You know, we took the game to Middlesbrough um, I think our report colleague James Nichols summed it up later on in the game when he said that, you know, Borough seemed to come and set themselves up for a battle and we just decided to try and kind of play through them, play our natural game. So it was encouraging to see, wasn't it? You know, the early doors that we stuck to our guns, we played our natural game. Um, and obviously there was a, a good early chance for Ahmad, um, who shot wide where I was sitting. It looked as if it was in. I was surprised. I couldn't believe it when it missed. But it was important, wasn't it, to kind of set the tone. You know, you're at home, big crowd, good atmosphere. And we really came out well, didn't we? Yeah, I mean, me and Chris talked about this on the pod we did during the week. We we had to come out and and we had to play on the front foot, just like we did against Swansea. I'll be honest, Middlesbrough surprised us. I'm not really sure what their game plan was. They they didn't press us. Yeah. They sat in, but they didn't really do anything when they had the ball. I don't know. I was for me. I don't know about you two, but um, when when I was watching the game and watching Middlesbrough, I was that wasn't the team I was expecting. Had heard, haven't heard quite a lot about how great they've been recently, and you just got to look at their results. The results have been excellent. This is definitely their biggest game of the season because they they absolutely love playing against Sunderland. They always beat us more often than not. I say always more often than not. Um, so yeah, I was really surprised by Middlesbrough, really, they made it quite easy for us, which allowed us the time we needed to do what we wanted to do, like, you know, Dan Neal and Mishu in particular are players who love when teams do exactly that, sit off them and let them have the ball, worst thing you can do, if you if you, if you you push on them, you get three midfielders in against them too, and really harry and harass them, that is how you make Sunderland play poorly, I think, you know, even if it's Evans in there, you know, if you can get three in the middle on our two, push, Harry, press, make us lose the ball, make us lose possession, then you've got our number. But for me, they played in our hands. They let us have the ball. They allowed us all the time we needed. And it became just, it felt at times a bit like a training game. When I was coming out after the game, there was a lad on the end of the run I was talking to and he said, that's probably the best performance of the season from start to finish that I've seen. And I would agree with that. I think, you know, the way we started the game set the tone and... It's been difficult this season at home, hasn't it? You know, we yes. we haven't played brilliantly for large chunks of the season at home, but it does feel like we we've got the the right blend now with how to play at home. And yeah, I mean, I think the early the early stages of the game were all us. I mean, there was only probably to be honest in the whole game, Phil, 
there was probably five minutes where Middlesbrough had a spell and it was just after Elise went off when we had to change the shape and the system and stuff. So for the first 45 minutes, for me, it was all us. And um, yeah, that mad chance you just mentioned, he's got to bury it, hasn't he? Yeah, to be honest, definitely. you know, that's, that's, yeah. that's an absolute sitter. But what I'm glad about is that that didn't sort of mar his performance. He just cracked on. He knows how much it meant to to miss it, you know. You could see he was devastated, but I think it was early enough in the game where he had enough time to put things right. So yeah, yeah, I, th- I think there were a lot of key players there who had a real impact on how how we grew into the game, and it started in those first two or three minutes for me. Yeah, yeah. Just on that Borough game plan, I thought it was quite interesting because I thought what they tried to do, I think they've watched us and seen how we've played. And if you watch, you know, when their defenders were on the ball quite a lot of the time, they were purposely just standing on it just kind of almost wanting to get us frustrated by taking so much time on the ball. And just, I think they wanted to dampen the game down and almost kill the game because the commentators were saying a lot that Michael, the sounds coming out of Michael Carrick on the touchline were basically calm down, slow everything down, keep everything slow because they didn't want a frantic game with us because I think we've got the better forward players. And in a frantic game where it comes down to who's better in that final third, you know, it, it comes down to who's got the more talented players in, in the, those forward areas. And I think it would play into our hands, like like you said, Gav. The other big thing, I think, in that game plan, in those early stages, they did try to press us. But I think, actually, almost by chance, one of... Because, obviously, our game plan is normally to press anyway. But I think them pressing us, one of the things that kind of changed the, the dynamics of that was Evans picking up that knock um, in the first 10 minutes. Because when he was replaced with Michu... I thought we kept possession a little bit better. I thought we were a bit quicker knocking it about and keeping those five, ten yard passes going between the link between the, the, the back and the front. And I thought we were a little bit quicker with that. And then when they were kind of slowing the ball, we pinned them in and won possession back quite quickly. But when we had the ball, we didn't give them much of a chance to close us down too much because I think Michu helped. And, and Dan Neil, we'll, we'll probably touch on Dan Neil because Dan Neil had another. Um, incredible game today I thought he was amazing but those two in the midfield kept things ticking along so quickly that I actually just don't think Middlesbrough could handle it well let's talk about the midfield in, in a little bit more detail there because obviously we saw that Corey Evans he picked up an injury tried to carry on and then he, he went down again and he was then replaced by Edward Mishu. and I'll just I'll just throw this to you Gav uh, first and foremost now we've seen that mishu has got quality we've seen that in flashes this season whenever he's been on you know we, we can see the talent he's got but there's constant you know, whispers that he's too slight, he's too wiry, he's not ready for first-team football in the championship and so on and so forth. So when he came on today, I don't know about you, but for me it felt like a real kind of acid test from, you know, a game against Middlesbrough at home, you've got an expecting crowd, they're going to be hoping you can produce something and you've got to get out there and you've got to perform. And I felt that, that it felt to me like a real breakthrough game for Edward Michu today. I just felt that the way he played, you know, the confidence he showed, the, the, the way he sprayed the ball about, I thought his off-the-ball work was quite good as well. When he was running, he, he put a real shift in. It, it was great to see him and Dan Neal, who we'll come on to later on, but it was great to see that from Misha, wasn't it? Really, really encouraging performance today. Yeah, I was most impressed with the off-the-ball stuff, if I'm honest, Phil, because I've seen him do all the nice, tidy things with the ball. Like We know he's a good footballer. We've seen that in bits and pieces as he's been here. Um, but what I haven't seen, certainly over a consistent period, is just him putting himself about, like, it's not a derby to us, whatever, but it is a big game. The crowd was buoyant. There were a lot of people there. The Borough fans were making noise. It is a big occasion. It felt a bit like a big occasion. The players will have known that. And I think Mishu played like a player who had to prove something. You know, he probably wa- he wasn't expecting that opportunity to come early in the game to get on the pitch. And to me, when you get them chances, you've got to take them. And he took it. Like, we've seen that with Trihume. Trihume got a chance, took yeah. it. Mishu's turns came around now because someone's got injured, he's came into the team. There are going to be occasions when we play teams who, like I say, press us a little bit more. I think that Borough did make it easy at times for us, especially in midfield. But when we didn't have the ball and it was loose and there were 50-50s to be won, he was putting himself about and he was he was making tackles. He, he gave probably, if I'm going to be critical, gave probably a few too many fouls away. There was a couple of times where he, you know, leaving his foot in, but that's that's something you can iron out with time. Um, the important thing was I wanted to see the desire and the commitment, and it was yeah. really I don't know if you heard Tony Mowbray's interview after the game, but he he mentioned Michou and he says I've been telling them to enjoy his football. He says because a lot of the time I look at him and he's tutting and he's shaking his head and he's whinging, 
and I've told him football's to be enjoyed. You're here to enjoy yourself. Yeah. And, you know, I think I saw a bit more of that from him because enjoying your football isn't just about scoring goals, making assists, making nice passes. It is about getting stuck in and playing in front of big crowds and stuff and, and really eating up the atmosphere. And I think he, I think we saw that from him today. So I was, I was over the moon with that. I, I don't think he's going to play like that every week. If you start him every week, you're not going to get that type of performance from him. But what it does show me is that he's settled in now and he's ready yeah. uh, He's ready at least to to push the lads ahead of him. <laughs> the only problem is, I think, is that Corey Evans' injury... I say a problem. It's not really a problem, but it doesn't look like Corey Evans' injury is going to be like a, a, a one that's going to keep him out long-term. He'll probably not play in the FA Cup game next week. But Michu's got a chance now because, to me, when you play like that, you, you deserve to stay in the team. So, yeah. fingers crossed he plays against Fulham and it's against a Premier League team and he showed everybody what he can do again. Got to say hats off to the kid. He's got a, He's got an opportunity then. He's took it. They were talking to Luke O'Nine about Michu when he came on a sub and they were asking him about him and what type of player he is and all this sort of stuff. And he says uh, at times he's whipped the old photographs out with uh, Mbappe and Messi and all that <laughs> sort of stuff. Uh, but I'd, I'd love, I'd love, you know, just like Hume, we were talking a couple of weeks back, Gav, about Hume getting that you know, getting a place and having a run in the side, even though his first couple of games he looked a bit nervous until he got his rhythm and he got into it. I'm feeling exactly the same about Mishu. I'd I'd love to see a run of games with Mishu playing alongside Dan Neil and and seeing how that goes. Because yeah. I mean, Mishu's obviously got it, but I think he just needs a run in the side. Yeah, I mean, we saw that. I mean, they're both very very young still. Um, and we saw you mentioned Dan Neil earlier on, Chris, and I think that you know he's been one of the real kind of you know, improved players in recent weeks and months. He's really starting to develop his all-round game. I think you've spoken about, Gav, how he's added more defensive bite to his game as well. His position awareness is getting better. Obviously scored last week against Swansea. Um, and I just felt that the maturity that those two showed today, okay, as you rightly say, Gav, you know, Middlesbrough allowed us the time and the space to do what we wanted to do, which is, it's not going to happen every week. So we had to cash in on that today. But, to see them play like that was really, really encouraging, wasn't it? And ordinarily, you might think, well, Corey Evans going out with an injury, that might be cause for concern. And OK, we do need him back because we know what he brings. But it's good, isn't it, to see that, you know, the, the younger players in that midfield area, and we still got Abdullah Bar as well to, to really um, start making a, a bigger impression as well, that they can step up when asked. I mean, it's, it's a really, really encouraging sign, isn't it? It is. It is. I think the important thing for me is, is it reaffirms that we've got competition for places because... For a little, I think Mowbray hinted at this again after the game. He was talking about how when he looks to the bench, he's only really got young lads there. There's a bit of a hint that, you know, at the minute we could probably do with a little bit more in terms of just established talent to pick from. You know, we've got quite a lot of lads out injured. But to me, it it does show that we've got competition for places and Mishu's not going to start every week, I think. I'm not sure where, what the situation is with the deal from PSG, but you know when when you've got your own players to develop, and then you've got someone who's possibly going back to Paris, you know, in four months or so, it is it is tough, isn't it? Because you're looking at it and you're thinking, well, if he's not quite good enough to play ahead of Dan Neil yet, then he's just going to have to be back up. And I'm more interested in the the likes of Bar, Dan Neil, and yeah. and maybe somebody who we're going to bring in. You know, I know we've been heavily linked with the with the lad from West Ham, but we need competition in those spots because, like I say, Ahmad will be gone soon, unfortunately, and we, we have to think about that. And I think Tony Mowbray was talking about how, after the game, how um, he sees Barr as his replacement, which is quite interesting. And he wants to see Barr really push him and do some of the... Th- maybe look up to Ahmad and see what he's doing in the team. And then when he's coming on, maybe you know do some of those things too. And obviously, as the window progresses, we might sign a player who's going to come in and, and, and offer a little bit more of a competitive edge in, in those positions as well. So, yeah, great to see the young lads play well together. And I think the maturity we've seen from Dan Neal in recent weeks has been brilliant. I think I was one of the people, certainly privately anyways, just sort of wondering when we were going to see him ignite because it felt like for probably up until the World Cup, really, that we hadn't seen him ignite. He'd played a lot of football, but hadn't really done much. Yeah. And my concern was, you know, he's he's going missing in games and he's not putting, like, a, a physical footprint on the, on his performances. You know, he's, yeah, he's on the pitch, but is he putting himself about? Is he winning tackles? Is he winning 50-50s? Is he, is he controlling games yet? Because for a player who's got so much hype, we want to see that in this league, at least, so that when it comes to it, we know he can play at a higher level. And 
for me, I don't know about you, but since the World Cup, I think that's what we've seen from him. I think he's he's he looks a different player to me. Yeah, and absolutely. That, that you've got to give big credit to Tony Mowbray because he has stuck by him and played him every single week when he hasn't played so well, knowing that eventually it would click and eventually this is what you'd get. And um, there's not many managers who will do that with young players. The last manager before this one had the opposite view on things and didn't play him at all. So, yeah. you know, when I when I think of it that way, I think, you know, we're, we're in a good spot right now. We've got the right manager picking the picking the right players and giving them the, the right opportunities to, to grow. And um, today felt like a little bit of a culmination of that, where you're looking at a lad like Dan Neal, who is still very young and still very inexperienced, but almost looked like the experienced head on the pitch running the yeah. show. And and I, yeah. I was over the moon with that. You've got to give a lot of credit to the management on how they've dealt with Dan Neal this season because we had chats earlier in the season and I think a few of us were thinking it would do them the world of good to have a couple of weeks off. And actually, the best thing for him was to just stay in there and plug away and learn and learn from the mistakes that he made. I mean, like the likes of the one against Sheffield United at Bramall Lane, and I think there was one one at home he made quite quite high profile. And, and he's just, I mean, to come through that and to, you know, his first year in the championship... And honestly, the way he's playing these last few weeks, I don't think there's a better midfield player in the championship at the minute. I think the way he's playing, he's he's winning tackles, he's he's passing is fantastic. He's actually he's learned now. He's now driving with the ball, which he's never done before. Yeah, and you can tell he's beefed up as well. I mean, just in the space of twelve months, he's beefed up. And I mean, if we were talking about scouts coming out watching Mishu, seeing how he's getting on, I mean, if they're coming out to watch Mishu and they see Dan Neil play. I mean, I, I, I'd imagine he'd be on the radar of a few Premier League clubs the way he's progressed in the last 12 months because he's been fantastic. The, yeah. confi- the confidence as well, though, like that he's got at the minute is ridiculous. Do, do you remember that moment on the edge of the box where he just totally yeah. changed direction and took yeah. like two or three lads out of the game and then played a long raking ball over the top? Of, I think it was to Stewart. Like that that in the ground, I don't know if it came across on the TV, Chris, but in the ground that just wowed every you you could you could just hear everyone like, whoa, like the cause they loved it. Like you love watching good footballers do things like that. And it, all he did was turn, but it was the confidence he had to do it in the box. It was like I'm not, I'm not by any stretch comparing him to Paul Gascoigne, but it was a bit like Gaza. It was like, you know, that sort of like just that little that little turn on the spot that Guys, I used to be able to do and, and take players out of a game. It was a bit like that. Yeah, yeah. Lovely to watch. Like, and 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 the other thing we haven't really spoke about with Dan Neal is, you know, he is he's a local lad. He's a Sunderland fan, and that'll have meant a lot to him today to play in such a big game. You know, he's probably probably not played in a well, he hasn't played in if it is a derby. You know, he hasn't played in one before until today, and yeah. um, certainly, you know, seem to bear the weight of the fan base when it came to sort of playing out on the pitch, you know. We'd all love to have been Dan Neal today. Yeah. I mean, I think the point that you made earlier, Gav, about Tony Mowbray and the way he's kind of nurturing these young players, you know, Dan Neal, Misha, et cetera, et cetera, is absolutely, is absolutely, you know, valid because it's obvious that that was a big part of the reason why Mowbray was brought to the club after Alex Neal left. He, you know, he had a reputation as being a bit of a, a mentor, you know, an older kind of fatherly figure for young players. He, he had that at Blackburn, and I think he certainly developed in that at Sunderland. And you're absolutely right. You know, he stuck by Neil. He showed faith in him. He's also managed the likes of Hume smartly. He's managed Mishu smartly as well. And these lads are definitely starting to make it a really big impression now. So I think it's fantastically positive. So we'll, we'll just come back to the game um, and look for look uh, towards the end of the first half. Obviously, we didn't make the breakthrough. Um, Ross Stewart had a goal ruled out for offside that I didn't see. Uh, from my vantage point, I couldn't tell whether it was offside or not, but I haven't seen it on the TV. It obviously was. Um, I think it was a ball in from Ahmad and Roberts had the shot. It was parried and then Stewart um, obviously had it in the net, but it was ruled out. So nil-nil at half-time. Um, we'd been the better team without a doubt, but obviously you know, Borough had been a little bit stubborn and a little bit resilient. Um, but then five minutes into the second half, we finally made the breakthrough. And I know that you're going to talk about this, Gav, because it was an absolutely perfect pass from Patrick Roberts, wasn't it? Just a ping ball over the top. Stewart chases it. Whether it was a penalty is highly debatable, uh, depending on which side of the divide you're on. It, it if, wasn't a penalty, it, but I don't give a it, shit. If, if we, if, I was going to say, if, if, if that had been given against us at the other end, I think we'd have been spitting feathers, to say the least. But um, obviously, Stewart steps up. And it was a... It was a strange penalty, wasn't it? Because on his recent penalties, I think against Blackburn and against Wigan, he's kind of gone low 
and kind of buried it. Um, it was in off the post against Wigan. But on this one, he kind of put it at a good height for Zach Steffen. It was parried, and then obviously Stewart was able to tap the rebound in. So we got the breakthrough. So how did you see that, Gav? Did you expect Borough to kind of really start piling on the pressure in response to that? Uh, well, just on the on sort of Stewart and the goal. Um, to be honest, he didn't really have his shooting boots on today. I think if, that, if there was going to be one criticism of, of Ross Stewart's game, I thought he, I thought he was outstanding. Like as a, as a performance, brilliant. You know, at times he was at left back defending, then he was hairing up the pitch to get on the end of a long ball or link up play or whatever. Yeah, brilliant. Just typical Ross Stewart. But um, in front of goal, yeah, he was a little bit poor. And I wasn't really confident when he when he stepped up to the penalty. Um, but luckily for us, their keeper was absolute dog shit. And thankfully, he parried it back into him. I mean, yeah. you know, the, the goalkeeper for them, uh, oh God, how was, how was he playing for Manchester City last season? Absolutely terrible. But, you know, thankfully for us, he was he was awful. Um, so I put it away was I expecting a response from Middlesbrough uh, no because the problem is when you go down to 10 men and we, we've seen this like we this literally happened to us last week when you go down to 10 men it, depending on what time in the game it is it's difficult to then overcommit. like you know if let's just say it's 11 v 11 Middlesbrough score 10 minutes into the game then it's on us to get back at them because we've both got 11 men on the pitch they, they're ahead we've then got to Overcommit at times. We've then got to pile the pressure on, play with the higher tempo and stuff. But when you when you're like the, the, when you go behind and you've got ten men, it's very difficult to then come flying out because you're just going to leave gaps all over the pitch. And particularly the way we were playing, had Borough come out and committed higher up the pitch and and try to play ten yards further forward, it could have been two or three nil within five minutes because yeah. they would have left gaps. And I think that probably was playing on Carrick's mind. I, I was. You know, my mate standing at the match, and I we literally we we did talk about this. I said, you know, what would you do if you're Michael Carrot right now? Because on one hand, you're losing and times running down, and Sunderland are so you know on top, it's ridiculous. You know, what do you do? Because if you overcommit, you're probably going to concede again. You're going to have to take a gamble and see if you can get a goal. But if you keep sitting like that, you're just a sitting duck, and eventually suddenly they're going to score again that's exactly what happened because at no, at no point did they really commit forward and try and get the second goal so I wasn't worried because I'd watched that sort of first period of the game first half and stuff and I'd seen nothing from Middlesbrough that worried us it was a, it was one of those weird occasions where Middlesbrough was so nondescript in their performance that I actually didn't know who was on the pitch for them so normally I, I when 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 you know you're watching a good bit of attacking play or the other team come at you, like you pick out certain players and go, oh, he's playing well. Or, that was a good pass from such and such. Come full time, I, I, I thought about it. I'm thinking, who actually played for Middlesbrough today? It wasn't until my mate mentioned that Paddy McNair came on and played, came on after the, the red card that I knew he was even on the pitch. I had no idea because yeah. they were just so poor at Middlesbrough. And yeah, I think, you know, with regards to how things played out after the goal... I think, um, to be honest, I was more expecting Sunderland to get another couple of goals because we were just so much better than they were. Yeah. I mean, Chris, obviously, in, in that second half, I think the key word that we can probably use here is composure from Sunderland. You know, I did, I did think we managed the game quite nicely. Um, and obviously, we had the man advantage, which always helps. But I think if there was a thing I could be critical of, it was that when we were getting into good positions on the edge of the Middlesbrough box, I felt at times we were being a little bit too intricate with our build-up there. We were trying to be a little bit too clever a little bit too cute, maybe taking five or six passes when three or four might have been, you know, sufficient. Um, and I felt that Jack Clark in particular, and I don't want to sound like I'm digging Jack Clark out because, you know, we've all spoken about how good a footballer he is and we know how good a player he is. There was an occasion when he got the ball um, and he ended up cutting inside and actually Ross Stewart ended up on the wing with the ball at his feet. And you're thinking to yourself, what's happening here type of thing? So did you get that sense as well that we could have maybe been a little bit more simplistic in our player rather than being a little bit too intricate? Well, I mean, just starting with a goal before we get into kind of what happened next, because I know yeah. Gav said it wasn't a penalty, and I agree with that, but it was a foul and a red card. It just, it was half a yard outside the box, because he, he kind of lunged across him, so it was it was still a foul, but um, it was still a foul and a, and a, and a red card, but yeah, it, it wasn't a penalty, it was just, just outside the box. I think Don Goodman was trying to argue that his toe touched the line so it was a penalty or something like that. But um, <laughs> well, I wasn't I wasn't convinced myself. So so yeah, I mean I mean just in terms of that intricacy you're talking about and, and the football, I mean, let's caveat this with we love to see that. It's absolutely fantastic. Absolutely. And some of the some of the yeah. one touch, two touch between Roberts and Ahmad, I mean, 
we'll probably have to go back to almost Mickey Gray and Alan Johnson for a partnership that they just seem like they're on the same wavelength. I mean, it's that sort of partnership where they just know where each other are, they look for each other. It's it's that sort of link, and it's been it's been a long time since we've had that. But I mean, coming back to the goal, the Patrick Roberts half volley that put it over the top. I mean, I'd like to see us mix it up a bit at times and, and do that a little bit more often because Ross Stewart is always on the shoulder of the last man. And actually, and it showed in, in that kind of ground race that he had with um, with Fry that Ross Stewart's quite quick. <laughs> he's, you know, people <laughs> might not think, you know, might, might look at him and think he's a target man and not very mobile. He is deceptively yeah. rapid. Ross, yeah. I mean, look, yeah. at the, look at the playoff against Sheffield Wednesday. Exactly the same. Ball over the top, defender under pressure, Ross Stewart's on it, and he's quick and he harries people. And actually just sometimes, I mean, I love us to play, I love us, like the way we play football is fantastic and I want us to keep doing that. But just every so often, look for Ross Stewart over the top and see what we get from it. I mean, just mix it up a bit so so teams aren't kind of sure what, what to expect from us. Um, because yes, and, and the problem was with trying to do that all the time and trying to play football all the time. We did that, and and what ended up happening? Gav mentioned it earlier on that we looked so comfortable until, and I think, and I don't think it was all. I don't think it was completely down to the substitution, but like you said, when when Wright came on um, for Elise, and for about ten minutes, we just kept shooting ourselves in the foot constantly for about ten minutes, and we invited actually we invited quite a bit of pressure on from well, say quite a bit. It they got in down their left hand side two or three times and maybe should have put better crosses into the box. They got in a couple of really good positions and didn't do anything with it. Luckily enough, their, their crosses weren't great. But we, there was about a 10-minute period before we got the second goal where actually you just thought, if they get a lucky bounce, there was a couple of um, there was a couple of kind of scrambles in the box where we couldn't get it clear. And if it just fell to one of them at half a yard and they stuck in the top corner or something like that, it would have just felt like, you know, all that hard work just went in the bin for a stupid 10 minutes where we, we couldn't hold on to the ball. But, I mean, other than that, like you said, the game management was great. Other than that, just one period of 10 minutes where where Middlesbrough, you thought, God, you know, <laughs> if they just get a lucky drop of the ball, uh, they might get back into this game. But nevertheless, we did manage to uh, emerge from that spell of Middlesbrough pressure or the mini spell of Middlesbrough pressure. Um, and it was Ahmad who, of course, got the second goal. Uh, the link up with Roberts again. Lovely little pass out to him. And I think this was probably what you would call the classic Ahmad goal, wasn't it, really, Gav? You know, just a little cut inside, drop of the shoulder, whips it near post, and the keeper's left that footed, and it's 2 0 at that point. So, but what I wanted to ask you, Gav, about Ahmad, and you mentioned this earlier about how he's not going to stay with us beyond the, the end of the season. He's obviously going to go back to Man United. Um, do you think the perception of Sunderland is now that of a club where young players' development can be helped rather than hindered? Because obviously we've seen it with Ahmad, we've seen it with Mishu. We're bringing these young players in, and you, you mentioned that Tony Mowbray has created this really positive environment for them. That's going to be good for us in the future, isn't it? If we are thinking about using the loan market to kind of give us a bit of a boost, teams are going to want to send their young players to Sunderland, which is a huge positive for us, isn't it? It is. And when you're... The, the other thing, you sort of break it down. Um, you know, Ahmad cost a lot of money at Man United... So their fans are expecting him to burst on the scene at some point. So there's a yeah. there's a lot. It's not like when you you look at their squad and they, you know they've got Alanga and they've got Hannibal and they've got Taith Chong. They've got quite a lot of like good young players coming through. But this is a bit different because Ahmad was bought in and they paid forty million euros for him. So they they are expecting him to do well. And when he went to Rangers, I think they they were disappointed that he didn't burst onto the scene there because he sort of went there, didn't really get a proper chance and I don't think the Rangers fans were particularly impressed, which amazes me. When you see how good he is, it's just, you know, he, he imagine putting in this version of Ahmad into the Rangers team now or the Celtic team. He'd be the best player in Scotland by a country mile. So it's just, you know, Sunderland have done a really good job with, with Ahmad. And the other thing is as well, by the way, is he was signed when we just come out of League One. So to me, you know, it, it not only shows that we can develop young players, but it shows to the likes of Man United, Man City, Liverpool, Chelsea, whoever it is, that you can send us a player who you want to be first team ready and we'll get them first team ready. And that's the thing, is we're not talking about, you know, uh, with all due respect, like a Callum Doyle, who's one of many young players at Man City. 
and was sent here and did all right, and he's went to Coventry, and I think he's doing all right there. But it's not that sort of youngster loan signing. It's like, who have you got who needs to play 50 games this season who you want to be ready next season to be a first-team player for you? You know what I mean? It's a different yeah. calibre of young player that we should be able to attract. And it was a bit of a test, wasn't it? It was a bit of a test, really. And, you know, if we send them at the sun, this hopefully sets us up for the future as well because, you know, Man United in particular have some really good young players. So, yeah, I think, I think you know, we've done a brilliant job with that. There's no sort of skirting around that at all. It's good to see us get these lads, though, because how long has it been since we had a really good youngster from a top team? I know we had, like, the likes of Danny Rose and... God, I can't even remember. We haven't had that Johnny, many. Johnny Evans, maybe? Yeah, Johnny Evans going further back. That. It's been a while, hasn't it, since we got a it really has. good youngster on loan from a top team. Shit. But yeah, yeah, great. Yeah, I'm sorry, Chris, you were going to say I, something. I, right? I was mumbling Shea Given, going back way, way, way back. But, um, <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, just on Ahmad, and it's funny because I, I was thinking there, Gav, when you, when you were talking about going through, you know, Ahmad, the, the moves he's had and it didn't quite work at Rangers... And if you're Manchester United and you were looking for a for a team where Ahmad could actually progress and, and kick on, I don't think there's any other club in the championship who play the style we play and would allow Ahmad the freedom to, to do what he does. I think even even at the top, mm. even the likes of company at Burnley, is well, when we played them, they seem quite rigid and they've got a structure in their game. Whereas, and it's funny again, I'll just go back to Luke 09 in the in the commentary because they asked him about Mowbray. He trusts the players, he trusts the forward players and he doesn't give any of the forward players instructions. He basically just says, go out and play. He said, you're all good players, you know what you do and go out and play. But And he said, and, and 09 said what he does is behind them, he, he puts that structure in place where he, he protects basically everything behind them and he says to the front players, the front four or whatever, just... You go off and do your thing, and I think there's no other club in the in the championship who Manchester United could have sent him to that would give Ahmad that scene to do his thing and to kick on. Yeah, well, speaking of the style of football that you mentioned there, Chris, we've actually had an interesting tweet from someone from Paul B. An interesting um, tweet. To say, Are you sure? An interesting tweet. <laughs> do, do they exist? It is very interesting. I'm, I'm going I'm to read this. I'm, I'm going to read this tweet out, and it might trigger a bit of debate. Uh, Roker report. I'm starting to think that this Sunderland team played the best football of any I've seen. I started watching in 1992. Uh, the Peter Radios were successful and the football was exciting, but was it as slick and sexy as this? Um, what do you think about that, Gav? Because for me, and it was like Chris actually mentioned this, I think the Peter Reid team, we weren't afraid to go along at times and hit Niall Quinn with those diags from Macon, for example. Um, but we could obviously we could get it down and, 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 and you know play some very good football. So what do you think? Where do you think this Sunderland team ranks in terms of you know attractive play? Right up there, yeah. I mean it's a, it, the the game's different now. We're talking about yeah. We're talking about a Sunderland team from twenty five years ago. You know what I mean? I mean, beautiful. Yeah, it was very traditional. Yeah, no, sorry, mate. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, twenty five years have gone since then, and and the the game's totally changed. It was a more attritional style of football, wasn't it? You know, everyone played four four two, and and we played lovely stuff. But I'm not sure I've ever seen a Sunderland team play this style of football. I know Poya, yeah. Poya tried it. But he was trying that in the Premier League with a squad who weren't really good enough to do it. And they weren't all young lads either. That's the difference. This 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 is a very young team. It's not you know, you're not seeing um Danny Bart, Corey Evans, those lads sort of playing the, the slick sexy football. It's the youngsters who are getting the opportunity to do it on a big stage who are doing that. Yeah. Yeah. It's just is it's a I'll yeah, go on, I'll say it. It's it's probably the best football I've ever seen. Sunderland play. I love going to watch us play. I love it. I've I've seen some decent teams play some good football and spells at Sunderland, and I and I, I never missed a game through the. I was only young, but I never missed a game home or away right through that Peter Reid era. You know, best time ever to be a fan. We were excellent. We used to just turn up at places and expect to win because we were that good. But I think I enjoy this football more than I've ever enjoyed the Sunderland. The Sunderland team playing football. It's just it's it's the type of football where you you know you pay you pay your ticket money and you know you're going to get your money's worth whether we win lose or draw. I, I love yeah. it. I love going to watch it and I love. Like, I think Chris mentioned there about you know how um, Ahmad and and Roberts are on the sort of same wavelength. Just watching them two at times. It's just it's that is why you're a football fan. Yeah, you know 
And you see teams turn up at the stadium alight who can't string two or three passes together and you think, God, oh shit must it be being a fan of that team. And that was us. That was us was. for so many years. We were Absolutely. that team who couldn't string two passes together. So long may it continue. This is the best best football I've seen Sunderland play in my life. Um, Do you agree with that, Chris, or have you got a different view on this one? Yeah, I, I agree, Phil. It, it was an interesting tweet. Um, I can't believe you found one, but you did. You did. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean... Yeah, I was just thinking while I was kind of sitting there with a, probably a big grin on my face while while Gav was talking, trying to think of the the teams I've uh, enjoyed seeing play in a red and white strip. And yeah, you've got to go back to obviously you know Gav mentioned Reedy's team, but Reedy's day, yeah, Gav Gav was right. I mean, Reedy's team was was different in a different time because it had that kind of blood and thunder kind of aspect to it, you know, in midfield where we had Borley in midfield or whether it was Gavin McCann going in and smashing someone. So it had, it had a different aspect to it and it was getting it wide, getting balls into the box. It was long diagonals by Mickey Gray and Chris Macon. So, like, so it was a different type of excitement. It was kind of, you know, it was always in your face type of football, which which Sunderland fans kind of loved. And I mean, like Gav said, just fantastic years and loved watching that team play. This is very different, you know. It's different to the Poyet years as well, because he tried to he tried to play short and he tried to play a passing style. But Poyet was very slow. He wanted us to build slowly from the back. And this team, it's it's almost like they try and get it into the final third as quickly as possible, and then in the final third, we try and do something wonderful, like that, like Ahmad and Roberts and Clark and you know those front players. Like you you mentioned Clark early on. Phil and Clark wants to beat his man three times, and 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 then play the pass. Yeah. Sometimes it would it would be beneficial for the side if he got that half a yard and put the ball into the box quickly. And I think actually Ross Stewart was miffed off a few times that the ball didn't didn't come to him when he made a a run because the ball didn't come in when he wanted it. It was kind of going back on himself. But yeah, around the box, I've never seen this intricate passing around the box and these little one-twos and trying to play each other in. I, I, part of us doesn't want to say this because I, I think I love watching it. I love watching it. I love seeing it. But at times, sometimes it's slightly to the detriment of like, how we're doing in the game because sometimes we almost forget about creating a chance because we want to do something fantastic. We want to do something that, that looks... That happened in this game, by the yeah. way, Chris. It that did, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And you yeah. want some, they want to do something that looks beautiful instead of just saying... You know, not get into Stewart and create a chance, and sometimes it's it's that element of frustration, but it's it's fantastic to watch. Yeah, I mean, some of the fans that were sitting with me, especially in the second half, when we were you know kind of weaving all those patterns on the edge of the box, and you're just thinking, get it in the yeah. box, get it in the box, be a bit more direct. So you're absolutely right, Chris. It is wonderful to watch, but it can be frustrating at times because when the moves break down, you're kind of back to square one, and you've got to rebuild again. But um, nevertheless, we came through, emerged two 0 winners, um, very positive result, and a great response to the Swansea. Um, defeat as well so obviously FA Cup next week um, plans for that one Gav obviously we hope on the term Corey Evans isn't out for too long um, I would imagine he probably might not have started that game I think you mentioned it earlier on another chance to rotate and give some of the younger lads a test at Craven Cottage Premier League team should be a good test for them yeah I, I feel a bit sorry for Tony Mowbray because I think I think deep down he wants to take the game seriously but he knows that at the minute we're the walking wounded <laughs> So, yeah. so he's probably going to have to make more changes than he than he really wants to. Because, let's be honest, like we, we're just talking there about how this is great to watch, and we all know when when we're pretty much we're pretty much safe now. I think you know we we are we're all right, and that means to me that we should take the FA Cup seriously. And a cup run would be brilliant. I mean, yeah. no better time to do it than in the fiftieth anniversary year of the of the last time we won it. I can't see any reason why we can't go to Fulham and win. Which sounds mental, but given just just how we play, I just think we can give anybody a game. I'd love to see us play a Premier League team, actually, who are doing well. So I'm really looking forward to the game. Just because yeah. it's going to be... I, I'm really interested to see how how much sort of lack of fear we play with against a, a Prem team. And this is a good... I think this is about as good a, a, a test as it gets because although Fulham are doing brilliantly and they're a really good team, this isn't like going to Anfield or going to Old Trafford. We're going to Craven Cottage. You know what I yeah. mean? So it, I, I'm really interested to see how we do in this game. I think this is going to be Sunderland showing off. I think he's going to tell them to go out there and just go for it. You've got fuck all to lose, go for it. 
Why I think not? You will. I think and, it's, a and, it's a free swing, isn't it, to a certain extent? So, oh, and yeah. and uh, and for me, that's that's the environment these players will thrive in. Like go to Ahmad and say, "Show Man United why next season you need to be playing against these teams in the Premier League. Show them yeah. you're good enough." And that's all you've got to tell them. Go and do your thing. Do what you've been doing all season for us, but against the Premier League team. They'll not live with you. Do it. Go for it. Yeah. They'll leave gaps. You're getting behind. You're good enough. Go for it. And I'm really excited for the game for that reason because I think we can beat them. What I would do, though, I, I, I know he's probably, like I say, he's probably going to have to rest players, but it'll be interesting as the week develops to see who's back fit because didn't I, I might be wrong here but didn't he say in his pre-match press conference he was expecting four or five players back for Monday's training so if that's the case then he should have a lot more to pick from and this might be a good chance just to get some lads back into the team um, but I would, I would at the same time I want to see Bar play I want to see I want to see Bennett get some minutes because he's been a bit unlucky for me. I think he's whenever he seems to come on, it's when there's like really no point for him to be on the pitch, yeah. or or we've we've had to make a tactical switch. You know, the the one game he started, which was the last cup game, you know, he, he was taken off by the time Stuart came on, and I, just, I felt a bit sorry for him. So yeah, I want to see maybe a little bit more from him. But I th- I think to me, I would just try and do more of the same. Just tell them to go out there and do what they've been doing. Because I don't think Fulham will be looking forward to this game. <laughs> don't I, I, know, I don't care what anybody says. I think they're going to rest players that have seen us play today, and they'll be thinking these aren't bad. You know, they might be in the championship, but they're not bad. And there's, when was the last time we we had a cup upset as well? So uh, yeah, go for it. Yeah, would you agree with that, Chris? Good chance to go down there and test ourselves because, as Gav said, it's not like we're going to you know one of the real kind of stadiums that would hold a, a fear factor for Sunday. You know, we're not going to be running out at a, a full Etihad or a raucous Anfield. And no disrespect to Craven Cottage, it's a great old stadium. But they should go down there with a bit of freedom and go down there and enjoy themselves, shouldn't they? Yeah, I mean, definitely. I don't, I don't disagree with uh, with anything Gav said. We should go with that attitude. Um, I think that's probably right in this case. I can't help but feel, though, that it's just a bit of a distraction, especially following Middlesbrough. I would have loved us to have cracked on in the championship and gone on a good run in the championship after a good win like that. You know, and chances are... Because I watched Fulham against the Mags last week and I thought Fulham were excellent at St James's. I thought they looked a really good side. It actually surprised me how, how good they were at St James's. I mean, the seventh in the Premier League, they've won their last four. Uh, or I think they've won the last four at the last five or something. And I think... Um, I think they're a really good side. And and like I've said, it is a good test. It is a good test. But I just think it was a crap draw. It was re- it was just, a, I, I didn't <laughs> want someone like Fulham away from home. And I know a London trip's always good. But yeah, I just think, I just kind of, I'm a bit, I'm a bit meh about next week. I might get more excited closer to the game. But um, I just feel it's a distraction. I feel it's a shame we haven't got it. We're not following a good win like the one against Middlesbrough up with with a game in the championship. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how we handle it. Um, well, just before we go tonight, um, we're going to read out some of, we asked for some of your three-word reviews of today's game. Um, so we're going to read some of them out. Now, Adam SAFC29 says, back for wow. Um, Owen Sara says, onwards and upwards. Uh, Tebs Pierce says, not a derby, with full stops to emphasise that. Uh, the <laughs> Peakies also says, not a derby. Um, Owen Main, we hate Borough. Uh, Darren Burke says Hume's a find. Uh, Neil Macbeth says they were shite. Can't disagree with that, Neil. Can I stop? Um, can I stop you there? We haven't really talked about Hume, have we? Very much. He we was haven't. Brilliant. No, and I did. Yeah, I mean, he was absolutely fantastic today, wasn't he? And again, he's been a real breakthrough star for us this season. Unreal. Just he looks like he's played 150, 200 games at this level. Like, <laughs> why has he been sat on our bench since last last January? I just don't get it. Maybe it's a case of he just needed a little bit of time to settle in, but he just he, his character and everything. Like you see this with the lads who come from the Irish leagues, that they, they they've got something about them which is isn't present in our kids because they've yeah. had a bit of a bit more of a tough tough upbringing. Even when he moved to left back, I thought he was brilliant. He's just getting better and better every game. I mean, every every time he's put on the pitch, he's just he's not just getting a little bit better in every game. He's getting exponentially better in every game. He's just uh, like from from the player we saw when he looked a bit tentative in those first couple of games, and now you can see the way even even the way he's just presenting himself and he's standing up. He he, he knows that he's looking at his other players and he's shouting at his other players now. He's shouting at his teammates. 
and he knows now that he's part of that team and he knows he's he's like the way he's playing he can't be dropped the way he's playing and if he if he keeps carrying on improving the way he is i mean i, I just thought he's fantastic and and it's funny cuz how good he is on the ball how much he actually influences the game from fullback like getting forward and play taking part in the game sometimes you'll see him come inside and kind of join in the the kind of what's going on in midfield and so he's he just at one point i think in that first half i just thought Hume's all over the place i mean he was join he was yeah. joining in down the flank he was getting joining in the middle he was i just thought at one point i was trying to work out is is he actually playing a fullback? God, long may it continue because um, he's he's looking an absolutely fantastic prospect. Uh, the final three word tweet I'll read out uh, is related to Try Hume. Uh, Try Hume's tash says East England, and I think that's a very, <laughs> I, we've got to let him off for that. Like, I, I yeah, we'll, we'll let well him enough. off. We'll <laughs> let him off for that one. Right. Well, thank you very much, Chris, and thank you very much, Gav, for joining me tonight. It's been a pleasure as always. Rokerreport.espnation.com for all your post match for that. We'll have plenty of that over the coming days. And we'll also be building up to next week's FA Cup tie at Fulham as well. So thank you for listening and we'll catch you later. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.